0: Welcome to Grab Life Big. <laughs>
1: Grab life big.
0: The exclusive podcast for healthy, wealthy, generous men who choose to lead epic life. Or as a few of us
1: say, badass
0: rich guys. Would
1: do epic shit. And now, your host, that's Highbin. If this is empty,
0: this doesn't matter. Bet you will, home. Wrong tribe confounds, the right tribe compounds. Get your free copy of the runaway bestseller, Tribe of Millionaires, a $20 value at tribeofmillionaires.com free. Just pay the shipping. That's tribeofmillionaires.com. All right, go bros. What is up? We are back. Been a few few weeks since we did uh, one of these podcasts, so I'm glad to be back at it and glad we're starting to come out of the COVID fog, let's hope, and uh, Richard Sherman is brave enough to jump on a germ-free Zoom call with me today and uh, talk one sheet and talk many things go bundled. So, Richard, welcome to the Go Bro Podcast.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Happy and a little scared to be here.
0: Uh, Richard, let's just start off, as we always do, like, uh, let's get a story of Richard's life from the, like,
1: the day you were born till now in four <laughs> or five minutes. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I was born to a couple of uh, hippies in northern Washington, almost on the Canadian border. I was actually born in a camp trailer with a uh, a midwife at home. My uh, my parents traded a couple cords of uh, cut firewood for the services, and then, uh, yeah so that was it. my and my little sister was also born in that same um that same trailer and then while my dad was building the cabin so parents pulled up pretty early bounced back and forth you know between parents in uh in Oregon and ended up in central Oregon uh Willamette valley area and uh very small town 1200 people and didn't really i thought i was going to end up uh with an athletic scholarship for football and ended up getting uh injured and not that not working out but uh it, it ended up being a really good thing because I, I hit the books pretty hard and I ended up going back east to school. So I went to Dartmouth undergrad, life-changing for, you know, a kid from a tiny farming town, just, you know, completely different world. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me as far as just, you know, kind of growth and um, road crew there as a volleyball player and, uh, you know, went into banking after after college and right in time for 9-11 to hit and, a, you know, a horrible event that ended up, changing the way I perceived kind of what my career path was going to be, I guess. And I uh, ended up taking a, a, a severance package and leaving. So they gave us the option, the bank I was at, you know, the first round of layoffs was optional. And, you know, they paid our salary, paid my salary for nine months and gave me a check. And so I took it and went uh, went to the South Pacific, actually, Micronesia, and uh, did some I did the, the the excuse for the trip was one of my favorite classes in college was anthropology and the excuse was you know help do some research there I think I did you know very little of that I did a whole lot of learning how to spearfish and you know uh, free dive and you know didn't wear a shirt for like six months uh, well I was not sure. I was only there for three months but you know still <laughs> so yeah it was it was amazing I went to um so I went to micronesia Sadowall, uh, Ulithia toll area you know just un- unbelievable place and i the, I brought a backpack full of books and a solar uh, battery charger and uh, back then we had mp3 you know CD players and you know I'd wake up in the morning listen to Bob Marley and you know go fishing and then you know read and uh, it was uh, studying for the LSATs was my idea when I came back you know go to law school took the LSATs, did pretty well realized I didn't want to go to law school and Started kind of the entrepreneurial, you know, route at that point, and you know, got my butt kicked for probably the next seven years, culminating in I mean, some really stupid stuff in my mid late twenties, like personally guaranteeing um, some loans on a business that we were doing, and it you know didn't go so well, and I had to you know declare bankruptcy or declared bankruptcy, which in retrospect was you know
0: this this was wait a minute, this
1: was this was after the Micronesia trip. Yeah, this was because I, was, I did that when I was like twenty, twenty three, twenty four. Okay, so I was like twenty, twenty seven, twenty eight, and so you went back, yeah. and where'd you go back to New York, or yeah, yeah. So I went back. Yeah, I went. Uh, my first job was in Chicago in banking, and then you know when, when that happened, I left, went to Michigan, came back, went to Manhattan, went to New York, was there, took the LSATs there. You know, it's kind of, and, and I think that my thing with that with school was just my whole life I'd always had, you know, get to college, right? Like that was kind of the goal. And then that's done. And I think that I had never thought past it, you know, in other than in some vague way of, you know, get into a career, get a good job, whatever. But I almost feel like that the, and I I think that unfortunately I have some friends who have done this with their lives is go to law school because it's almost like a placeholder because they're not really sure what else to do. And so, and you know, education has been a focus for a long time, but I'm actually very happy. I'm very happy. I didn't do it. So it would have been for the wrong reasons. It would have been for like, let's call it ego for, for lack of a better term. But uh, you know, it's funny to look back at that, that BK and, and you know, the numbers I did it over, which are laughable. Right. I mean, you know, I was like freaked out over like 40 grand and, you know, (laughs) but at that point, you know, at that point it it seemed insurmountable. So yeah, we, I, uh, I, after that I went to, you know, corporate world, went to sales, ended up running, so I ended up working for Verizon Wireless and then T-Mobile, and I sold to uh, most of our Fortune 50 uh, customers in the, in the Pacific Northwest. So you know, my customers are Microsoft and Starbucks and Boeing for a little bit, you know, warehouse or those guys. And while I was there, I started a business with my nephew, who was 18 at the time. It just started at Portland State. Very smart tech guy. Even at that point, kind of a savant, also an 18-year-old idiot, like all of us are at that age. But um, we started a business, and we ended up, you know, over the, the next three years, it ended up doing very well. I got to the point where it was making quite a bit more than I was at my my corporate job, and you know, I decided to leave that. and Best decision I ever made. You know, along the way, we were investing in some real estate, but yeah, you know, I hadn't really scaled that. It was just you know, a handful of apartment units in Oregon. But um, you know, we left. I left uh, the corporate job, and. We have a a company that does software, some custom software development work, and then we support research and development and testing for mostly software companies. So our big, our two biggest clients are Microsoft and Amazon, AWS, Amazon. And that all started with that, you know, the 18 year old dropping out of Portland State and his family thinking that I was the worst influence on the planet. And, you know, now, uh, now in retrospect, it looks like a brilliant decision. So. Yeah, and then along the way, we've amassed, you know, we've amassed, uh, we have a little over 700 total units, uh, a little over 100 apartment units, the rest are mobile home pads, only about 350 of those mobile home, well, closer to 400 of those mobile home pads are occupied, there's quite a few unoccupied ones, so we'll call it, you know, 450, 500 occupied. And we do self-management on all that, we don't have any partners, it's all, you know, us, when I say us, I mean, me and my wife and they're spread. Uh, apartments are all in Oregon, uh, just right outside of uh, Portland, and the mobile home parks are spread through the Midwest. Then last year we moved to Texas, and you know here I am, so enjoying Go Abundance a year and a half ago, It'll be two years this winter. And okay, so you're mar- how long you been married? So it'll be nine years in two weeks. All right, well, happy anniversary. You got Thank kids? Thank you. I Yeah, we have a uh, one, two year old son. Two year old son.
0: All right, man. Well, that's a great story. So I got—I actually got a lot of questions. Usually, I just go right into the horizontal, but <laughs> this is—you've you, led an interesting life thus far. So, so nine eleven happens. You're in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yep. The company just like all of like, kind of explain to people who you know. I mean, I mean, we were talking almost twenty years ago now, right? Mm-hmm. So this is distant in a lot of minds, including myself. My own, right? We we tend to forget so fast yeah. the downsides to life, right? The you know when this shit happens. So, what happened? Like, did they just decide? Like, why weren't they
1: making any money all of a sudden? So yeah, so you know I graduated class of two thousand one undergrad, and I went to investment banking, which is you know if you're an econ major at Dartmouth, that's like where you go for the most part. And I ended up with a company called William Blair in Chicago, which is a uh, you know kind of a boutique, real, pretty well known in the Midwest, but not a huge national player. And you know, I was working at M&A Works, I was an investment banking analyst there. And so I'd been there, you know, at that point, you know, I started that job, probably April, I'd say is when we started, you know, and so you fast forward, you know, five months, and I still remember we were in the at and USG tower. So we're the, the buildings right next to the Sears Tower. And we're in a, you know, when they're on a call and this, you know, it starts going down 911. And, you know, just just panic, right? I mean, we're, I don't know, 45 floors up right next to the Sears Tower and no one knows what's going on and so I just remember that day leaving and then you know I think that a lot of people forget that you know if you weren't really impacted by it like you know all the flights were canceled right like you couldn't you couldn't go in did, did a lot of before. people
0: did people at your company
1: die? We no no one at William Blair but you know people that we worked with relatively frequently yeah you know can we had a, a pretty big relationship with Karen Fitzgerald, big bond trading fund in New York. Yeah. That's the one that lost like 90% of their. Yeah. They like got, they got like wiped out. Yeah. And you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of friends and people I knew and acquaintances, you know, from school that were, you know, impacted either directly or. So like
0: all the B2B contacts and and everything, basically everything that you did, you know, or could do. I'm trying to think of what, what would be an example. It would kind of like be an example of like, now in the real estate game it's like all all the online banking just shut down for shut like down. three months right you had to start collecting checks again and you had to mm-hmm. you know call people right? you know i don't know i'm trying to think of what
1: well it was you know i don't think that they did another ipo for almost you know it was 6 months or you know if I remember right, I mean the business just vanished, right? I mean the no one was business. going public. Going on, Are they pretty, still in business
0: you know, now, William Blair? Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. They've been in business yeah. since the late eighteen hundreds. And you know, in retrospect doesn't... Yeah, right. and, and and I don't think I don't think that they were dramatically impacted. Like, you know, I definitely knew people that lost their jobs during that time, but I think it was a knee-jerk reaction of you, know, you have this big catastrophic event. Actually in a lot of ways it you know COVID reminds me a little bit of some of the reaction, which is this yeah, big dramatic yeah, right. yeah. This this big dramatic kind of life changing mm-hmm. event. Except, you know, COVID's happening like in slow motion. You know what I mean? It's it's but it changes it changes everything. I mean, 9-11 changed the way we travel, it changed the way, you know, we perceived safety. You know, clearly it kicked off, you know, a couple of wars. I think COVID does some of those things too. It changes the way that we, you know, live our lives. And, but yeah, the banks were, I think, I think what the banks were doing at that point is, you know, I'm, I'm five months into this job. So I'm like the lowest guy, you know, the analysts like me, yeah. were the lowest guy on the totem pole. And I worked in the group that I was a part of was kind of like the old school metal bending, you know, stuff. We were working on companies that, you know, like made garbage trucks that were getting bought by other people to make garbage trucks. Right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't tech. It wasn't finance. And, you know, there's a good chance I could have that if I had not taken that voluntary package, I would have kept that job, you know, but they offered to pay me for, you know, I think it was like seven or eight months, you know, get my same salary seven or eight months. I was like, you know, why wouldn't I do that? Or I can stay around and get the risk of, you know, getting axed anyway. So, but I think that's maybe a deeper insight to that point that maybe that wasn't what I wanted to be doing either. You know, I was happy to have the job. 2001 was not. It wasn't as bad as it was right after that, but that wasn't a great time to be coming out of school. You don't know, look right, at a job.
0: and it wasn't like you were making millions. I mean, it was like no, you know, it's your first job out. And people, like a Twenty-two-year-old is so so versatile. You know what I mean? It's so yeah. flexible. It yeah. yeah. So let's talk. So uh, yeah, and the, and then your mobile home units. I wanted to ask you. So half of them are empty now. What's the plan with that? obviously you want to fill them up is that a hard thing to do or it is
1: yeah it is a hard thing and you know my my thought process on mobile home parks is this you know i've always been somebody that i don't like paying retail for anything i mean i'm a i'm a big fan of looking at something and saying you know hey how do i you know how do i acquire this at you know at under replacement value and i think that there's some mispricing going on in the mobile home parks space specifically around the size of the parks and then Kind of, we'll call it occupancy level, but it could also be kind of quality and condition, right? So, how down are so they?
0: Slow, so slow this down because you know we got right. a lot of go, go Bros that are in mobile park syndication and are putting a lot mm-hmm. of money into mobile parks, and you know the the the, the asset class being a respected asset class. I think is fairly new. Like you know, five five years ago, people would be like, "Mobile homes? How do you invest Mm -hmm. in those?" Right now, suddenly, you know, you have people uh, like saying, "Hey, that mobile mobile homes are the new multifamily. Like, don't even don't even consider apartments. You know, go go into Mm -hmm. multifamily." So tell me about this
1: because it's it's a contrarian view, and I want to hear it. Yeah, so I think that a lot of this comes from kind of the way we operate, right? You know, we don't take investors. This isn't a syndication. This is all our own capital. And, you know, some of that's probably, it's probably good in some ways that I can do what I want to do. And maybe in some ways, it's an indication that I don't take orders very well. But I I think what is going on in that space, and, you know, yes, I think that it's comparable as an asset class to apartments. But it's much, much smaller. There are not in the big, I mean, there's probably a multiple of a thousand times more units in the apartment world than there is in the mobile home park space. So it's a much smaller asset class. Within that asset class, just like in apartments, you're going to have breakup of both condition of the parks, right? So, you know, A, B, C, D, you know, you have some of these parks in South Florida, for example, where, you know, they're resorts, right? You know, they're $500,000 lot rent, they got tennis courts and golf clubs and, you know, and everything else.
0: Yeah. But, they're not even mobile. Like my, my wife's grandfather lived in one of those and it wasn't even, mm-hmm. a, I wouldn't even consider it a mobile park. I mean, it was, it, I Beautiful. Lived there, right? It yeah. was, yeah, yeah, it was just like a small, he lived in like yeah. a mini rancher
1: as far as exactly. I was concerned. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And you can go, I mean, you can spend <laughs> as much on, a, on an actual trailer as you can on a house. I mean, mm. you can go, you can go way high end in them. That's not the space that we're in. You know, we're really in workforce housing, uh, I think. And, What I see going on is that a lot of the money that's chasing this asset class, it's the same thing you see in apartments where they're, for the most part, not going to mess around with the smaller smaller unit counts, because it's the same amount of friction and transactional cost, right, to do 150 or 200 unit building as it is to do, you know, a 30, right? And so what you see is the assumption would be that as you move up the scale and size, that your cost per unit, whatever you... You know, whether it's an apartment or a pad in a mobile home space, that that cost would drop. But in a lot of cases, that's not accurate. What you actually see, especially if you combine a little bit higher vacancy than they're used to, so you know if you're above eighty percent occupied and you're above a hundred pads, I'm using pretty broad numbers because you know if you're if you're in Santa Monica, in California, you know there's parts there, and clearly those you know those numbers get thrown out the window because the pricing is way different. But if you're in the Midwest or the Southeast and you're above 100 pads and you're above 80% occupancy and you have, you have public utilities, so you have public city you know, uh, water and sewer, you're not dealing with a treatment plan or a, a treatment lagoon, then you know, I'm, I'm competing with people whose cost of capital doesn't really make any sense in my world because they're doing syndications, they're able to get institutional money, you know, their cost of capital is very, very low. What I think that is, and because there's a much more finite supply than there is in the apartment world, I, I believe that those assets are getting bid up. Now, you can absolutely make the argument that running 150 pad park is easier more efficient than running 350 pad parks, right? I think we'd all agree to that. Yeah, It's one location instead of three, right? It's, it's easier to manage it, but how much easier? I mean, a, a few percentage points maybe, right? But what we see is that they're paying in some cases two or three times more per pad for that higher occupancy, larger park than they are for some of the smaller ones. And, so,
0: and, and their thought process is economies of scale is just-
1: Economies of scale. Easier. Yeah, I think economies of scale. I also think that you're dealing with time horizons in the mobile home park space that are very different than what you see in the apartment world. What I mean by that is if you have a vacant pad, let's, let's say you have a park that's you know 40% vacant, right? versus an apartment building that's 40% vacant. The apartment building, you go in, you rehab the units, you paint, you put in flooring, you put in utilities, you list them and you rent them, right? Mobile home park, that pad, you have to find a trailer, right? Move the trailer in. You have to convert that you know, either to a sale, like selling that trailer to somebody, which is gonna be difficult in a lot of cases because you're looking for somebody to write a check for 30 or $40,000 or to get financed for it, or you have to rent that out, until it depreciates enough to get it converted to, you know, an owner. And so the, the time horizon to turn our parks, a lot of the parks we're going after that are, you know, 40% vacant, 50% vacant, you know, our time horizon is five to seven years to turn that around to get to up to that 80% vacancy number or 80% occupancy number. I don't think that in a lot of cases in the syndication world or the, or the, you know, the um, larger fund world, that they have a time horizon that's long enough to allow them to do that change because they need to look at, Hey, we need to, you know, we need to pretty this thing up, raise the rents, do the, you know, do get the low hanging fruit done, refinance it or sell it and get out so we can get our money back to our investors, Mm -hmm. you know, five years, seven years. And so I think that that is causing some opportunity in those, those other spaces where I'm not competing in the apartment world. It's similar. It's similar to going, um, yeah, I got, I got a different time horizon and I'm not saying that that's necessarily better. But my gut check number on mobile home parks is I want to be 60% of of replacement value. So I I want to pay 60 cents on the dollar of what it would cost to get the land and put in the infrastructure. And I figure if I can do that, and I have that longer time horizon, I can take the time, especially in a smaller market where you're only going to get two or three pads a year filled. But when my time horizon is 20, 30, 40 years, I have to worry about some of those constraints.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Let's jump into the one sheet here. Okay. So let's first of all, talk about your horizontal income. What is, what is your
1: horizontal income, Richard? So it is, I pay myself wages out of my, my company's my software development company, and then a small salary out of our holding company that manages our real estate. So it's all
0: mm. just
1: my wages.
0: Yeah. So you're kind of putting them, putting a lot of money back. We're so okay, so let's talk about the software company first. So generally, uh, do you work for that salary? Like, could you not show up
1: for a month? Uh, I definitely work for the salary. I think some of that's I enjoy it. It's very much problem solving, and it's uh, it's cathartic for me. So I enjoy that work. Yeah, I mean, I could I could hand it all off. Yeah, I think that we would take. Uh, but you would pay little... somebody. I'd have to pay somebody. Yeah. Yeah, so that doesn't
0: count. So that would be vert. That would be your vertical income. So what about
1: distributions? Do you take oh, distributions yeah, from yeah, the yeah. company? I'm, I'm sorry, we're talking. Yep. We're talking. So I was uh, conflating those two. So, yep, um, no good. So work, conflating. Yeah, <laughs> we do a little, <laughs> little, little, little uh, jeopardy action there, right? So, yeah. So the the horizontal income is going to be all real estate. So right. you don't take distributions from the um, from the company then? I take small distributions, nothing significant. Most of it is, and now that's not historically accurate. In the past, I've taken larger ones, but that business is up almost 150% this year over last year. It's relatively capital intensive. And so for the past year, me and my partner have really been rolling that back in there. So I think that there's there's some kind of banked equity in there that's going mm-hmm. to be able to come out in the future.
0: All right. All right, but for now, for now we'll say it's it's nothing. And then your your horizontal from your from your mobiles and whatever else you got what how much is that? Mm-hmm. So horizontal last year was 940k. So
1: 940,000.
0: That's a net number, right?
1: It's a net number, yeah.
0: Okay, that's great. Yeah. And let let's talk about that. How is that diversified? How is that or not diversified? How is that mm-hmm. What is that made up of?
1: So it's made up of, a little bit of that was the, some of the newer mobile home parks we bought, but the bulk of it is still our apartments in Oregon. And that is, I have a full-time property manager there that works for us. Actually, we have two full-time people that work for us. So I am very, I, I'm involved from a strategy standpoint and when there's an issue. But other than that, you know, I'm not How really much is the, um, how many units is that? So it's 110 units, apartment units. And it must, it must be paid off it's, we're a, a little under 50% debt equity on those. Yeah. Yeah. And then for we have a hundred, some for of a hundred
0: those, units. That's a lot of money. What, I mean, what, what, what are they? Class A apartment?
1: Uh I mean, it's, it is, you know, Portland Metro. So we're looking at, you know, a lot of these are twelve, thirteen hundred $1,300 a month. We have oh, some, yeah. we have some short-term uh, rentals in there that bump that number some. Um, and they've, they took a hit at the beginning. So there's about a dozen now, uh, 11 or 12, you know, that we do is short-term rentals that are really close to the university in Salem, really close to state capital that do pretty well. And uh, they took a little bit of a hit in the spring, but for the most part, you know, it's a pretty resilient area. Because I wonder the if everybody seller.
0: should do that. I wonder if everybody with apartments, because i got a bunch of apartments too, and we don't do that. I wonder if everybody should do that, just take like 10% or 5% and just say, let's let's furnish them, you know, let's short-term them. It's interesting. Well, Let's, let's, I uh, think you that, know what I mean by like Airbnb.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think part of it is, do you want to do the management? Cause it is a hospitality business. Right. And if yeah. I didn't have, if I didn't have, you know, the people that we have there doing it, I mean, I wouldn't want to tackle it just, hmm. you know, some of the, <laughs> you know, some of just the brain damage for lack of a better term. But I like the resiliency. I mean, the thing that I like about it there is that there's some zoning issues. There's some licensing issues in Oregon, but we own the buildings and there's own multifamily. So right. all of those well, concerns. Well, that's the thing, you
0: own the building. So it's like, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can keep people, other people from doing it, but you can do it yourself,
1: you know? Do it that's... ourselves. Yeah, we're strategic about, you know, which units we use, but it, how you know, so? the thing I... How are
0: you, how, how does one, because people listening might be thinking right now, go-bros might be thinking, shit, I got a bunch of units. Like, how? Mm-hmm. how tell me the, the rules of strategically furnishing five percent of my
1: apartment units so i would take the ones the property that we do them on is it's a pretty unique property it's right on the creek there and there's a creek that runs through um, downtown salem right past the state property or the state capitol building and it's very pretty so these are these are older buildings built in the 1960s but they're large and every single one of them has a balcony that looks out on this creek So you can walk six blocks to the state Capitol building. You can walk three blocks to downtown Salem, but when you're out on your balcony and you're looking at a creek and trees and you feel like you're camping.
0: So the most picturesque ones, because you could show them in an Airbnb
1: picture and the people are like, Oh yeah. And think about little things like, you know, accessibility, right? So we pick units that are uh, very close to their, their designated parking spot. We only have one of those units. That's an upstairs unit where somebody has to go upstairs. All the rest of them are ground floor to think, you know, Mm -hmm. just for that accessibility side. So I think that just being kind of a little strategic with that and thinking, hey, if you're having a guest here and it's a 20-unit apartment building, you know, what are the areas that are going to make the most sense and going to be the most appealing to that tenant versus somebody who's a long-term renter? That's really neat. That's a good tip. The
0: wrong tribe confounds. The right tribe compounds get your free copy of the runaway bestseller tribe of millionaires a $20 value at tribe of com. free just pay the shipping that's tribe of com. okay so 900 some horizontal which is you know let's say 80 uh, you know 75 a month what uh, what are your monthly Expenses for your wife, your two-year-old son,
1: family. What are you? What are you spending now? So, 2019, our expenses were 78,000, a little bit over. So we're at like 6,500 a month. That includes the mortgage on our personal house. That's
0: crazy, dude. Um, um, so that's crazy low. So, so what's that make you? That makes you like a thousand, thousand
1: percenter? Yeah. Let's see what. Yeah. It's something crazy. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's about that, you know, and it's just, we've never accelerated our, our lifestyle. We lived when I first started my business, we, my wife used to work for Tiffany the jewelry store and uh, she'd been there for 12 years. And, you know, she, one of the only people I know who would probably have still gone to work part time, even if they stopped paying her, like she really enjoyed working for them and we lived on her salary and we just never stopped living on that same number even when she stopped working and you know we have one and this isn't this isn't i'm not saying that you know people should do this but you know we have one paid for car we drive a little prius and you know it's fine it's, it's funny seeing me especially in texas you know getting into this little blue you know prius but i don't know it's just i i don't i don't really care too much about you know vehicles mm. i don't really you know we have a nice little house and Um, We're building a new one that gives us a little more space. And my nephew is going to live right next to us and his wife. And then right next to them is um, my wife's sister and uh, her husband. And they have a three and a half year old son. And so we're going to have those three houses right together. And, you know, I I also think that some of it was having gone through the stuff, you know, way back with the bankruptcy and some of the other challenges and the challenges starting the business that in my mind, that's still kind of fresh, I guess, and a little bit of fear yeah even though what was 15 years 20 years ago yeah Yeah, crazy and that's not you know that's not necessarily a good thing but i do you know part of it was maybe the way that i grew up like yeah it's still hard for me to not really analyze the numbers in when they're basically irrelevant Mm -hmm. so yeah well you got a 50 percent loan of value
0: on on 100 units i mean that's that's pretty good, too. You know, one of the things I'm seeing more and more of with GoBros is the loan-to-value ratios are really creeping up, and it's a little bit concerning. I mean, what's your, what's your opinion of a, a 90, 90% loan-to-value on hundreds and thousands of, of uh, units or millions and millions of dollars of commercial real estate?
1: I think that it is certainly appealing, especially with how low rates are. You know, I think that leverage is risk. It's, you know, it's, it's jet fuel. It's going to, and it can, you know, that, that jet fuel can, you know, launch you into orbit it and and it can run you off a cliff. And so, you know, being cognizant. Yeah. Yeah, And so, you know, I think that calculated risk is fine. I think that, you know, when people look at something and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to use some leverage and I'm not, I would, I would say that I am not in any way like morally opposed to, to using leverage some of this is because the properties that we have just appreciated quite a bit, but we had good loans on them. So we just haven't been aggressive about pulling them out. I really dislike friction in any of my transactions. And when I say friction, I mean just transactional cost, right? So the process of refinancing, you know, something, and we, we will probably consider it with the way rates have gone. And we did do it on a couple of units, but we kept, you know, even with them, we kept them at 65% LTV. We also have a bunch of mobile home parks that are, paid for, you know, in cash because they were essentially unfinanceable or because, you know, the the cost would have been too high. I think if somebody's going to go much higher in in LTV, you know, they really got to consider like, you know, what happens when things don't go the way they think, right? You know, we're seeing that right now in some states with COVID that, you know, if you're at a very high leverage point, and you have a real shock to the cash flow, that becomes, you know, something that's going to have to be fed. And, you know, do they have the ability to do that? I think that would be my concern is, you know, does going after the extra few percentage points of return, does it put your overall financial well-being at jeopardy? Should there be a problem? Should there be a shock? Should there be a nine eleven or a COVID?
0: Yeah, um, well, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great dilemma, right? That's a great dilemma. That Well, only time will tell. All right, let's move on to your life happiness index. What's your overall life happiness index
1: score, Richard? Let's see what I put in here. Yeah, so I was at um, I was at an eight point five when I did this one last, which was two weeks ago. Okay, um, and I, which I think is, you know, some of these are so existential that it's it's hard to like place a number on them. But maybe I get you know too far inside my own head sometimes. Yeah, yeah. What, what was the lowest score? What did you give the lowest score to? My lowest scores are around health and fitness. Okay, and so and, what? Yeah, so why? I, you know, I've struggled with getting back into, you know, I've, I've struggled with keeping weight off, you know, honestly, for a while, um, eating becomes my, it's the way I distress stress a little bit. And I think that COVID certainly hasn't helped that. But a lot of this comes down from just not applying, you know, not taking the time prioritizing, you know, the, the working out in the gym side of it. So I think I, you know, I certainly understand the problem.
0: Right course right because it's so simple right so simple (laughs) so (laughs) simple eat less move more uh, Eat less,
1: move more yeah
0: it's not a matter of understanding anything right Uh, so it's just a matter of actually taking action on it or getting out of your own way
1: yeah getting out of your own way prioritizing things not using not using the excuse of you know hey i got more time i got there's a never-ending list of you know stuff to do with one of the businesses and you know, not hiding, I guess, from the responsibility of the other things by jumping into that to-do list. The mm-hmm. other in the other lowest areas were around, you know, this is really driven by COVID. So I don't think that this is a long term problem with um, mm-hmm. just, you know, I've been able to see my, you know, my family, like my, my dad, my grandma just turned 99, but she's, you know, clearly at high risk. And so we did a virtual party instead of going to see her. But I think that those are things that, you know, kind of uh, go away when when yeah, covid goes away. yeah it's like a, we yeah. should have a pre-covid
0: life happy or a during yeah. COVID life happiness and a after covid yeah.
1: life happiness L- little handicap in there but you know i got my, my grandma's 99 and she's using zoom and yeah you know, so i think that's that, awesome right it, yeah, I've, yeah i've communicated with my mom on email
0: more than ever, ever in life and and mm-hmm. probably more com- uh, more communication than I've ever, my mom's 85 and I've had more communication with her in the, since COVID than I think ever really, you know, it's like she's on the email every day, sending me something and I'm responding and we're
1: chatting like constantly. I never did that, you know, never. And I think that that, you know, realizing that that type of interaction and communication, maybe it's preferable to do it in person, but if you can have more of that, that that's, you know, that in and of itself is great. You know, I think that, you know, one thing that COVID has done is really forced some adoption and change of, of the way that we do things where we realize, hey, you know, wait a second, like, cooking at home, this is pretty cool. Like, I wouldn't mind doing this. Maybe not for six months straight, but, you know, I'm going to do more of that. Or, you know, like gardening supplies, like buying seeds. It's really hard to buy seeds right now because there's so many people gardening. Like, those are probably good outcomes of, you know, what's mostly a very negative event. Right.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right, let's talk about a uh, genuine contribution pillar, like giving
1: back. What do you do to give back? So I used to volunteer at, we had a, a food sorting facility in Oregon before we moved to Texas, and there's a part of that which was uh, not very appealing, which was going through the donations from the grocery stores and sorting out what was spoiled or damaged. Yeah, and My uh, wife did I, that, yeah. Yeah. And so I used to do I did that weekly for, you know, almost the whole time we were in Oregon, and I really enjoyed it. I was, uh, I think I was probably the one of the youngest, but also certainly the biggest guy in there. So I got I got to help a lot of, um, you know, uh, little ladies who were there volunteering, you know, moving these big things around. And it was, you know, I had a blast. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was a good way of kind of breaking up the normal work. Giving is an important thing for us. We used to support a charity in Oregon um, called SMART, which is, uh, it's a literacy program for schools. And we actually sponsored the elementary school where in the town that I graduated high school from, which had had the library closed, just funding cuts. And uh, we were able to donate and get the library back open. And then the, the whole program is really based on giving books to you know these kids, like having adult readers that volunteer and read with them, but also giving the kids their own books which i really like that but we've we've yeah. transitioned from that the charity that we support and i'm looking at doing an endowment with them is called soul hope and soul hope focuses on a parasitic fleas um, that infect the the feet and hands uh, mostly in west africa oh really so yeah they're called they're called jiggers they're a little it's they're a flea that's oh, yeah. from so it, i mean just debilitating, you know, to the people that have them, you know, it it causes all kinds of secondary infections, you're unable to walk a flea burrows into your foot or exposed skin and then swells to like a 1000 times its normal size, lays all the eggs, and then dies inside the skin. And so people will lose toes, they can, you know, have their feet amputated because of the infections and the solution to this problem is, you know, shoes right? Like, that's, that's the answer. The answer is wear shoes, and it, you know, closed told shoes essentially eliminates the issue. But it's, you know, these are very impoverished areas in West Africa. And so that, that one really spoke to me, because I think that, you know, you look at, I mean, you look at what we live our lives, and the things that we consider problems, and, you know, you're talking about places where, you know, the the answer to, to like a life-changing, life-threatening illness is to put shoes on. And so that's something that we've, so what do they do? Um, so they buy shoes? Just buy yeah, so shoes? so one of the things I really like about the charity is that some huge amount of the money goes directly to the issue. So they have medical personnel yeah. that volunteer or, or work for them directly. And the, the process is get the people that have in in these this part of the world, this is seen as a curse. So this is seen as these people are, you know, almost like an untouchable, right? Like they're not, uh, they're seen as having done something wrong. And that's why they're afflicted with this horrible thing. So they have these facilities that the people can go to, to get the, you know, they literally cut them out. And if you want to see some horrifying videos, you know, YouTube this, but they literally use sterile razor blades to cut the the pockets out, and then, you know, sanitize them, and then give them a place where they can recuperate where they're not walking on them, right? So they need a couple of weeks to kind of get better. And then, yeah, they provide shoes, but they also set up you know little shops essentially for lack of a better word but they're they're giving micro loans to women in the village that uh use you know local materials like discarded tires things like that to make shoes and sell to the village there so wow um, that's cool yeah
0: huh. well that's that's an awesome one we'll have to uh put that in the show notes if you guys want to give some money to that yeah those who are listening Um, uh hope, like soul s-o-l-e yep soul hope Alright, cool. So, uh, let's wrap this up by talking about some uh, greatest hits. Everybody has a greatest hits album. Uh, you know, some great things or poignant uh, moments that have happened to them in their life so far. What would you say so far your,
1: some of your greatest hits have been? I, I mean, I think I'm going to go back to, you know, my son being born. My, we had some fertility mm-hmm. issues and it was not, it was not uh, something that we thought was going to happen. And um, that was, you know, in, and I think anyone that's a parent kind of gets it, right? Like, you you think you're prepared, you think you know, you know, how much you're going to love this, this little thing. And then, you know, you're just like, wow, I wasn't, <laughs> you know, yeah, wasn't, you, you didn't know, you didn't know this piece of your didn't, heart existed, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I think that that was, you know, that, and that was, um, you know, that was a, a, a pretty interesting kind of arc of, you know, emotions around, you know, uh, originally getting pregnant and not working out, finding out my wife had a, a problem, medic, you know, the whole medical thing, of not knowing what it was, and finally trying something and it working. And, you know, it was, uh, I think a lot of a lot of it was kind of driven by, you know, her emotion, too. And she wanted to be a mom so bad. And, you know, and, and I think I was, and I think a lot of men are just unequipped to kind of, you know. 'Cause we just wanna fix the problem, right? Like what's the problem? Just fix the problem. Like they're a car or something. And, you know, that doesn't work out so well sometimes. So but that was, you know, that's that's been amazing. Being able to have, you know, watch my nephew kind of grow and change has been great. You know, he's he's twenty six now and I sometimes forget that, you know, he's he's twenty six. <laughs> you know, he's so he's so competent in the technical world and then he'll say something, which I could absolutely see myself of it hadn't said at that age. And I'm just like, what, <laughs> what's wrong with you? How do you not know this? You know, so, so that's been, you know, that's been really cool. And we have a, yeah. you know, we have a great, we have a great relationship. So um, that's awesome. And, you know, I'm trying to think of like the, the big stuff. It seems like, you know, before my greatest hits would be things like you know hitting income milestones, the first time I made right. you know seven figures, and I think that as I get farther on in in age, they seem to just be less relevant. I guess.
0: That um, I think that's part of the aging
1: process, right? It's
0: like I mean, I I look back at the person I was and the person I am, and it's like I, that's not even that's not even me. It's just weird, don't. you know. It's just just so so. Just the way I think now, and the way I used to think, and it's not like I got in a had traumatic brain injury or anything. It just like slowly like seeps in. You just don't. You just think differently and prioritize differently, and everything's different. Let's talk about future greatest hits. Like what what are some uh, greatest hits that you want to achieve that you want to add before you die that you want to look back on your deathbed and have flashed through your mind as you're laying there as like some of the greatest moments of your
1: life that haven't happened yet yeah well one of them is we are this fall trying for our second child so all right that's gonna you go. be you know yeah that's gonna be one hopefully and you know i think that uh, joining go abundance and and you know my pod specifically and you know they are On me about you know, and we're on each other about you know some of the things that we need to be accountable for, and you know it's funny how how diverse that is, right? There's some people that I'm hammering on them about you know like your expenses, like what are you doing? Like there's no way that you love this much stuff, this much to blow this much money on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's listen, you know, like. I have no problem with people spending money on stuff they enjoy, but don't spend money on stuff you don't e- you didn't even know existed two months ago because you have the ability to do it. Or, like they, don't t- or they
0: don't use. I think. Or they don't use. A lot yeah. of Americans are addicted to the art of uh, of the buy, meaning like mm-hmm. uh, like I or have a a some, re- yep. some people in my family that order shit and it just fucking never open the boxes or, or yep. The- put it in the closet, and never wear it or never use it. Yeah. It's not about that. It's about, Oh, the
1: deal and the buy. Yeah, like, are you yeah. kidding me? Just stay off the computer at night. Yeah. Well, <laughs> or, yeah or, or find, or find something else. Right. That You know, if, you, if you're that bored and you need, cause it is a rush. And I think that that's why it becomes an addiction. Just, you know, and like there's a, a lot of other things, I but, um, true. and then, Yeah and then you know they're on me about you know stuff like hey dude you were a d1 athlete like get back to it right and yeah absolutely 100 percent so
0: so maybe so. how about a how about a greatest hit you know your first marathon or 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 whatever you want you know like or yeah. or something like that
1: swimming i'm back to swimming i used to swim uh quite a lot you know i i still have a, a pretty bad knee um makes running a little you know made running even when i was skinny difficult But the swimming I really enjoy, I think it's good for me mentally because, you know, I can't be on the phone underwater, at least not yet. And I hope to God they never invent it. So, you know, that's something that uh, I I really enjoy. And I've been doing more of, you know, we moved to Texas and I think that I'm I'm somebody that's very much about routine and it kind of screwed up my routine. And that's just an excuse, right? Like, I just need to find a way to get back into it. Um, But yeah. yeah, yeah. Especially swimming. <laughs> it's swim. it's well, refreshing, you know, we have a pool right here in the community. So <laughs> I started, I've tried going in the afternoon and it was, you know, there's people in it all the time. Right. And so it's not a, a normal lap pool, but uh, I find out that if I go right at opening it, you know, nine 10 AM, nobody there. So that's, well, insane. now I've
0: noticed a lot of the pools uh, are doing like uh, scheduling where you schedule yep. your time, which I think is brilliant. Right. You know what I mean? You schedule your lap for an hour and, mm-hmm. and, Online and you just show up that way. You don't got to talk to anybody. You just plop in and then you leave. Yeah, but yeah, well, that's a good one. Maybe a mile just to be like, yeah, my greatest hit is
1: you know, or whatever. So
0: yeah, well, well, ten this, miles this a one. week.
1: Yeah, 10, 10 miles a week. That's what I used to swim. so you get back to that? And it's it's great that's a lot of swimming mentally. Ten miles a week. Wow. Ten miles a week. Yeah. So if you did it five days a week, you'd be doing two mile. Two miles. Yeah, it's about an hour. I mean, at least for me, I mean, people do a lot faster than that. Or swim but. fast. I'm,
0: no, because I was swimming probably 10 years ago and it would take me about an hour to do one mile, that's, but it don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what, uh, any, anyway, I'm not that good a swimmer, but yeah. Anyways, well, that's awesome, dude. Well, Richard, listen, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on and appreciate, uh, all you do with GoBundance and, uh, look forward to having some engaging
1: conversations with you in the, in the future for sure. Yeah. I I really appreciate it, Pat. I mean, the the group is something that I I, I didn't know I needed until I got into it. I was like, where the heck has this been? So, you know, it's uh, it's fantastic. And you know, everything that you guys do and you know, the it's, it's great. I'm uh, very happy to be a part of it. Good. Well, thanks for saying that.
0: All right, Richard, have a great day. Grab life and uh, we'll be talking to you. Sounds good. Thanks, Pat. Bye.
1: In life, to be honest, I've failed as much as I've succeeded. But I love my wife. I love my life. And I wish you my kind of success. step to me bitch nah, you can...